Serious classic Lawrence Arm shit. Me and Chris, you know, like, um, Chris is like my longtime, like, best buddy. And, um, yeah, we've gone through times when, like, we, like, get along better or worse or whatever. But whenever we're, like, getting along well, which is 95% of the time, um, we're backstage and just, before any show, we're both just crying laughing because it's because we're just like yeah. making each other laugh so hard and it's always it started in an australian tour i think as chris we're peaking we're peaking like this is the funniest part like uh like we're not gonna we're not gonna have this for the stage because we're gonna be too drunk uh <laughs> <laughs> like this this right now this is when we should be on stage you know that that was but yeah. We're peaking is, <laughs> I, you know, like I know that like fucking hippies and idiots say that about uh, drugs, but <laughs> we just, that for us, it was just about being on the tip top of our game. Uh-huh. That's all. It was always really funny. Okay. Sorry. That's enough of my story. See, I, I, I let it, I let you go. Cause I was like, oh, this this must be going somewhere. Maybe. No. Oh, of course. Oh, no. Okay, cool. Heavens well, <laughs> hey, all right. This is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Ghost with Brendan Kelly, who's peaking right now, right? Is that what, was that the? Uh, okay. Well, I, well, I am. I am peeking uh, through the little tiny peephole in the shower <laughs> at you and... Your buddies showering. Yes, I'm pretty inactive these days, peaking. to be honest. With the way the way things are, I'm only in that shower once every month or so. But are you showering yeah, I, that little? I mean, cause no, like, no, no. Well, I I will say that like I am showering a lot less than I used to. I am too. Yeah. Like I, you know, I used to think that the song "Shower Days" by No Effects, like, well, when I first heard that song, I was maybe twelve, thirteen. And I remember, I like the only place I could really listen to music was in the presence of my mom because, like, she was the one who had like the things that played music, you know. <laughs> so it'd be like in our car or in the living room or whatever. And she just, I, I actually, to use like her actual like sort of lexicon, was just so tickled by the fact that he had this song about. How on Wednesday and Saturday you took a shower and he hated it. <laughs> and I, I'm nothing if not a product of like my fucking the ancestors and mm-hmm. you know the, the uh-huh. woman that raised me by herself. I, I probably have a lot um, in common with her as a result of that, and just based on the DNA, but. Uh, so I, I always thought it was funny, too. Like, she thought it was funny, so I thought it was funny. And I've come back recently 
And actually, I think it was maybe on this very podcast when we talked to Mike. And I uh-huh. was talking about making time to shower. And he's like, I hate making time to shower. And I was like, oh, right. You wrote that song, Shower Days, when you were like 20 years younger than I am now. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's like Wednesday and Saturday. Are you showering every Wednesday and Saturday? That's... <laughs> pretty impressive to be honest that pretty- <laughs> that's a lot yeah. of showering <laughs> how do you get so motivated hey uh we're we're back we're back with the podcast we took last week off of course if you're subscribed you didn't miss a beat as far as uh we're concerned with the episode dropping straight to your device and i mean fuck if you're listening right now you might as well rate and give us a review on iTunes, because that shit, that shit helps. And it's important to give back, and we're all done giving back over here. But we did take we did take a week off, Brendan and I, to um, kind of reset, and ended up, uh, both of us kind of had some wounds to lick. Yeah, what, 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 what happened with you, buddy? Um, it, my partner's mom has been going through some health stuff so she's been uh in the uh hospital a couple times the past few weeks so i'm sorry to hear that yeah jay's been out of the house a lot staying with her mom at home and in the hospital they think they they think they got it figured out you know how that goes yep yep yeah um (laughs) That's way better than what was happening to me last week, which was uh, uh, a friend, Mark, who is the the third roommate in the Lawrence Arms building. I mean, mm. um, you know what? First, I'll just say my dog also died. And um, I, I, dug, yeah. or I, I dug a grave yesterday in my yard, mm. which I think is technically illegal in the state of Illinois, but... Um, Come get me, pigs. Um, And uh, (laughs) of all the things going on, even in my neighborhood, I don't think me digging a grave for my tiny little chihuahua is... But I've never dug dug a grave before, and it's um, hard work. Very, very hard work. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and... um, Can you imagine doing that for a full-grown human? Because I've, I, I, I mean, I'm even, from Jersey, so I've done that a few times. I don't even know how. Well, for a full grown human, I guess I understand it a little bit better because, like, the part where like it gets past like three feet, mm-hmm. I it's not easy to like get the shovel in there. Like your <laughs> entire like sense of balance is off, and your like sense of leverage, which is very crucial when you're fucking shoveling a bunch of dirt anyway uh yeah so buried a dog i with this pandemic started i had two dogs now i have none Mm. um it's a bummer pour one out for izzy pour one out for poncho um for real they were dope um together they weighed probably 12 pounds Mm. uh and neither of them liked anybody including each other. Uh, <laughs> but they were my little people, and I love them. They did like me. They yeah. liked my wife. They even liked my kids. They started out hating the kids, and then they were like, 
Oh, you're us now. Okay. I get so it. So how, how old was Izzy? Did pa- Pancho was 18? Pancho, was, they were both 17 when they died. Wow. So uh, it's, I don't know. I think there's a very racist joke that has like this premise, which I, is the last thing I want to go into, but it would be disingenuous of me not to acknowledge that I was saying something that comes from a racist joke. It's not a tragedy. Uh, like it's, uh, it's a, I'm bummed. I'm sad, Mm. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, it's not tragic that a fucking dog that, you know, for a dog was like 120 years old died. It was, yeah, it was about time, but Mm -hmm. less cool in human years. My friend Mark died and, uh, he was the, the dude from, yeah, he was the third guy in the Lawrence Arms apartment. It was me and Chris and Mark. And um, and the thing in the sink, too. Oh, that was the, that was the next apartment. Steve. Oh, okay. You're okay. referring to Steve. Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fungus, yes. Uh, <laughs> but Mark was... He was just a little dude. He's just always seemed really old, even though, like, when I think about, he was like twenty five, probably, and like I was like maybe twenty three. You, you know, mm-hmm. like it, he wasn't really very old, but he had like really bad teeth, and he was kind of like mm-hmm. bald, like really early, mm-hmm. and um. But he he come from Pennsylvania, and he had been in this band called Montgomery Burns, and <laughs> which cool band name. And he yeah. had this leather jacket that had Montgomery Burns on the back of it, like in like a like a like a badge circle, you mm-hmm. know. And mm-hmm. and it said Montgomery Burns, and then Montgomery Burns had a mohawk, and it was dope. Yeah. And yeah, this is so fucked up. And I've talked to my wife about this. I kind of want to get in touch with his parents and see if I can get that jacket. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, but I, it is so, like, vulturistic <laughs> to, like, mm-hmm. be like, hey, here's your son died. I've always liked this one thing of his. Uh, can I get it? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough because not... you're probably it would be it would be better in your possession i'd say as, well, you know. yeah no i mean like there's there's like a whole part of me that has like a thing planned out to say which is like you know mark always loved punk rock and like i'm still fortunate enough to be able to do punk rock for a living and like if i could wear this jacket around it would honor his legacy you know and i think that sounds really reasonable, but at the mm-hmm. same time, I'm not the parents of a dead man, <laughs> you yeah. know. And like, and I, it's really, I, I, it's very hard for me to. First of all, I don't fucking. Well, they're probably pretty easy to find. His last name is Zdanowski. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I'm kind of making excuses at this point. But Mark was a great dude. He played in a band called The Feds, um, which was the um 
Ken from the Bull Weevils band when Daryl was in medical school. Um, and they put out a pretty great record, which the name escapes me right now, but that's just like a brain fart. Uh, and, mm. and, uh, and he was also in another band called Munition who put out a, uh, a record called Black Wave, which to prove to you that I, that was just a brain fart. The Fed's much more popular than Munition. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, he had this song, and this is like if Mark specifically said no funeral, right? Like that was in his like last wishes or whatever uh-huh which reminds me so much of moses like i was just gonna say that and i was like uh, well mark, not sure if that would have been no over no, no 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 because mark was dude he was in a band called montgomery burns right right uh yeah uh so <sighs> no funeral was mark's fucking thing uh-huh but if there was a funeral. I would have gone to it. And I would have probably muscled my way up onto the stage to say something because I mm-hmm. love Mark so much. And, you know, he's one of, dude, he lived in the building that my band is named after. It's like the most formative time of my entire life, you know? Yeah. And, and he was, he was there. It was like me and Chris and him. And, you know, Neil on the couch and Marcus in the garbage room. But, uh, <laughs> but, but Mark was, he was a great skateboarder. He was uh, a hit with the ladies, despite his fucking teeth and his hair and everything. Like, and it, the, being 5'5", five, five, <laughs> I just remember me and Chris being like, I think we're both pretty handsome. How come he's getting laid all the time? Uh, and and he would just come back and just be like, confidence, gentlemen, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and that's which, funny because that's like you, the, the one of the themes of Bad Sandwich Chronicles was just confidence. Everyone, confidence. I learned that from watching you, Mark. Um, <laughs> and... Um, and the but the thing that I would say at, like at his funeral was, oh no! Now that I think about this, this is a terrible thing to say at his funeral. But uh, this munition song that he wrote, and it was one of the last ones, and I don't even know if it ever got recorded. But the first line of it was, "Don't cry for me, I'm already dead." Oh man! Which is the Barty Gumble. Barney. last line of his movie um and don't cry for me i'm already dead heard that shit before i know what like i I can't remember i can't remember the next part but like i just remember being extraordinarily jealous that he got there first (laughs) you know yeah like, yeah. like, I was like, I'm the one that steals stuff from stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> and, and you got the best one. <laughs> um, and that's all. Um, rest in peace, Mark. Rest in peace, Izzy. Um, Poncho, you're probably already 
shitting on floors in heaven now, so I don't need to tell you what to do. But yeah, it's been a tough pandemic. I've lost a lot of things I love. And yeah, that's all. I'm really sorry to hear all of those things. Um, we, I lost Chloe, uh, my pug, um, a couple months before uh, all this shit started. And one of my last things that I did in, in Chicago was go to uh, Humble Park with Hadley and, and scatter some ashes. And um, yeah, that's... It's been, you know, well, you know, the, the, a, a year and change, and it's still it's like, man, I fucking miss that dog so much. Yeah, it's it's not easy to lose anybody, you know, um, no matter how many feet they have on the ground, and um, I don't know. I think it's easy to to say like, yo, it's the pandemic and. You know, it's hard to survive through this. But isn't that something that we say as people that do survive through it to make it seem like it's not as absolutely shitty? And it's like, it is rough. It sucks. But at the same time, it's the inevitable passage of time. And like, you know, Mm -hmm. like, talk to your fucking parents if you want to hear about people dying. You know, like... uh, yeah. Which you don't. I mean, you don't want to do either of those things at all. <laughs> uh, but, but like, you know, I, my mom was like going to funerals like every month, you know, when she was in her 60s. Yeah. I mean, my mom's 74 now. But there's an expiration date on all of us, you know. And, mm-hmm. and fucking, like, you might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later sooner you later. dance with the reaper, man. I love show business. Um, just uh, to fill in some gaps uh, on Mark, the Fed's album I think you're referring to is called Chicago Bureau. Chicago Bureau, yeah, that's right. On Doctor Strange Records, um, his Discogs credit is Mark Piss, which Mark I Mark Piss. He. <laughs> so, what's funny is like, I've only had like three serious girlfriends in my life. Mm-hmm. And one of them was um, Heather, who ended up married to Laura Jane Grace and was the Alkaline Trio's um, merch designer. Mm-hmm. And the other was a woman named Becky and then my wife. And both... Becky and my wife only can refer to him as piss mark. (laughs) They couldn't do it like the way it was supposed to be, Uh (laughs) which I find beyond amusing, like almost like Gordian in it's like, (laughs) like how could this possibly be so incomprehensible to you his first name is mark that should be the first one uh-huh. <laughs> but uh but yeah so yes hit mark piss mark piss was his punk name 
because his real name was Mark Zdanowski. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so it goes, I suppose. Um, thanks for sharing that with yep. uh, with me and and thank you for everybody listening. Being patient with it. No, oh, of course. Um, let's uh, let's get on to the topic at hand. What what everyone came for, or should we just let let's just ruminate on life and death for this entire episode? Well, no. you know, if there is one group of people that ruminate on life and death, just endlessly and just drag on and on and on about it it's the russians that's true and do you know where the russians vacation tim uh they go to the black sea right right? and do you know the name of the most popular resort town on the black sea is it the most popular resort town on the black sea who, who the fuck are, are you talking you? about like, Yalta? Yeah, what, what are you, what are you, my fucking fact checker? I mean, Jesus Christ, I'm just trying to have a segue here. Yeah, uh, Yalta. It was a great segue. <laughs> great, great, great segue. Thanks. We're, we're, we'll talk about it after the show. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> so news from Yalta. Um, the... <clears throat> Seven inch of songs that didn't quite make um, Metropole. Uh, with Metropole's entire like thematic being very um, literary, like the, the cover looking like a paperback, like pulp novel cover, mm-hmm. and or or like you know pulp film, whatever you want to, yeah. Uh, we stuck with that very literary theme and news from Yalta is my personal favorite chapter in Master Margarito. Um, it's a fun one. I reread it this morning. It's where, uh, motherfuckers just end up in Yalta. Uh, you know, like, uh, just in, in a novel that like takes um, the Master of Margarita. For those of you who don't know, is a, a hugely influential novel to to me and to Chris, and uh, much of our record greatest story ever told is loosely hung on its skeleton. I guess to mm-hmm. use a probably fairly accurate term. Um, and uh in the but it what it is is it's about the devil coming to moscow during like the height of communism when people are like sort of re like you have too many rooms in your condominium uh Mm -hmm. we're gonna need to take these two rooms and you know and then the devil just kind of swoops in it's like actually i'll live here Um, how about that it'll be fine and but also the height of like you know atheism not yes. state sponsored but yeah, well, state yeah, I mean, like, yeah religion is the opiate of the masses that is state sponsored it was state mm-hmm. sponsored atheism that's like mm-hmm. that's actually i i think 
I think that was like a national like fucking party line. Oh um, yeah. In the cool. Soviet Thanks Union. Uh, it, you know, I don't know. Fucking feel free. Write to Tim. Don't I, I don't want to hear the responses, but please Tim, you were right. Write to Tim. Um no, no one's saying that. Um but uh the, <laughs> but it the reason that the book is so cool is because it really plays Satan coming to Earth with a talking cat and two demons as realistic. Mm-hmm. And it's just chill. Right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, by the end, there's like this like party and it's like all the demons and everybody's like flying around like this fucking mansion. And I believe they call it a manse in the book. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's crazy. But then there's this news from Yalta chapter where this motherfucker just wakes up like halfway around the world. It's like, yo, uh, what happened to me? And, <laughs> and that we, I, I think that we thought as a team that, that was kind of a cool, appropriate title for these thongs, songs that were supposed to be on a record, but didn't mm-hmm. make it on the record. <laughs> you know, they just end up in Yalta and then, <laughs> yeah, you just like wake you're... up and you're like, ah, it's just not where I thought I was supposed to be. <laughs> You've got telegrams coming in that are, you know, first it's, I'm in Yalta, and then it's responding to the responses that the people, the managers were giving to the telegrams. Oh, that's right. It is like very like correspondence based that chapter, huh? I, I mean, it's been a mm-hmm. long time. I mean, I'm I'm old and ugh, sea bubbles in my brain, you know. Uh, well, um, yeah, I was. It, it, it was nice to kind of have uh, an excuse to at least jump into that chapter. And I know that you and Chris are all about the Ginsburg translation, right? Yes. And Mir- Mir- Ginsburg was, uh, God, you really opened a can of worms that nobody cares about <laughs> here. But Mary Ginsburg was the woman who was besides his wife Mikhail Bulgakov was like promise me you'll burn this mm-hmm. you know and that nobody will ever see it mm-hmm. but Mary Ginsburg had worked with him for years to translate and like she was his confidant and stuff you know yeah. so and I have this is so dorky it borders on dude i've like, got a master margarita tattoo like it's you're I've in good company the red cover and the blue cover uh, the green cover the mm-hmm. green cover is mary ginsburg with behemoth on the cover mm-hmm. uh, the red cover has behemoth on the cover as well but it doesn't even look like him i i hate the red translation for, that's the uh, bergen bergen and o'connor that's the one that i have um the reason Not, the reason that I brought it up though is because I read the Ginsburg chapter and I was like, this is just a much better she's, translation. She's such a po- no, Tim. I read both of them page for page, like when I was younger. Uh-huh. I, I I sat down to do like a which one is better? Yeah, I read 
the same book twice in front of me, like mm-hmm. on the table, you know, like, so kids, <clears throat> don't waste your life. Do something that's not that. Uh, <laughs> and it, you probably could read like two pages and be like, well, it's like, even like, you know, chapter 13, the hero appears. And then in the other one, it's like, enter, enter the hero. The mm-hmm. hero. Yeah. yeah. Like, not as good. And, and reading, then, the, reading the Ginsburg made me want to read the entire Ginsburg because I was very. Oh, well, taken you're not it. even reading the book if you're not reading the Ginsburg. Like, the, I, my, actually, interestingly, my, my ex, Becky, just posted a picture of the, the red cover. And was like, oh, my friend told me that this was the translation I needed and I had the wrong translation. And I hit her up and I was like, that Chris Cozy doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. This is the wrong translation. You need the green one. You need the Ginsburg. She was Bulgakov's friend. Like, like, you know what I mean, man? Yeah, it sounds like she got... If, she got out of <laughs> she got out ahead of uh <laughs> if uh, no like if i die i want you I or fucking, fucking sleeping with this annoying guy chris <laughs> uh-huh. or somebody to translate my things because you know my voice you know you'll know do i ever the way i will say stuff like this right now, man. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it like it like that kind of like very specificity is crucial to conveying something like that. Right? And and Ginsburg does that for Bulgakov. Wow, we are down a fucking rabbit hole. I just realized I should shut the fuck up. I uh, brought us here. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> um what I do like about the the uh the Bergen O'Connor. Well, actually, before we get there, because we do, you do have an epigraph in uh, in News from Yalta, and it's from that chapter. And the the quote is, uh, "Could he have fallen under a tram car like Berlioz?" Wondered Veronica, holding the receiver to his ear and listening to the long, insistent, and utterly hopeless signals. So, um, the Bergen and O'Connor translation has some very good footnotes, and I consulted those, and the name Berlioz, the reference to the composer Hector Berlioz, who had a piece called The Damnation of Faust. So, there you go. Well, and, you know, as we all know, Faust is... Goethe is the um, author of of Faust which is the yeah yeah the german um you know tale of the devil master margarita it's, pretty much it's, bases it's, 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 it's the interpretation and, and, on and the and devil and it's also um in the greatest heart story of da- ever heart of darkness uh-huh. apocalypse now look i'm even oh oh no this dude is i po- saw that that's a fucking great full metal jacket shirt Yes, this is not Apocalypse Now, but uh, yeah, it's the Japanese 
poster for. Dude, speaking of Stanley Kubrick, though, I love in News from Yalta how they they drag what's his face to uh, to uh, Wohan's room to the devil's room, and there's a naked lady waiting for him there, just like in the fucking Shining. Room 237, you got a naked lady waiting to smooch on Jack Nicholson. Well, isn't the whole thing about um, The Shining, and I, I'm not smart enough to really be able to unpack even even Master and Margarita, one of the most intellectually stimulating books of all time, mm. uh, but, uh, but much less The Shining, um, made by a master in his own right. Um, but isn't that movie all about like the, um, like the evil that men do, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. every room is something Mm -hmm. in, uh, Jack's mind. Right. Like, and, and every, you know, he goes to the bar and the bartender's there, even though there's no bartender. And he, you know, goes into this room and there's the two little girls and he goes into this room and there's all the blood and he goes into this room and it's the two dudes in like fucking mascot suits fucking each other, mm-hmm. and, you, you know, and, and, but the metaphor, I, to me, what I take from it is it's the exploration of the darkest corners of a person's mind, mm-hmm. you know, like you. You can have those thoughts and it, they cannot be definitive of you and your character. They can uh, inform your character. Totally, but they can also be something that you ignore, that you hide, that you mm-hmm. pretend isn't there or whatever, but that's what that's what the estate is, right? It's a, I mean, that's what that movie is. It's just an exploration of this dude's mind. Yeah, I think there is, like, um, like he says he would sell his soul to the devil for a drink, and that's when the bartender appears. Yeah. Um, but it, we very, very heavily digress. Um, uh, that quote... Um, as an epigraph, is it just kind of the uh, the metaphor for the Lawrence Arms, or is it just like this looks and feels right? What kind of thought goes into uh, using that one as the epigraph? Well, so I can say with I don't remember at all, but I would be very very surprised if I didn't just put that on the record like kind of without talking to anyone mm-hmm. um because that like for things like the epigram epigram on a record uh that, that like the dumb unimportant shit i kind of just like come up with it usually pretty fast mm-hmm. um and you know it's based on the fact that it was in that chapter and uh and yeah i think that it's representative of uh like why we called it news from Yalta, which was because like you fucking wake up one day and you're in the fucking not where you thought you were going to be, mm-hmm. um, which is these songs. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, I think that's about it. 
like I don't think that there's too much there to this specificity of the actual words. Like I just think that again, very easily Chris or Neil could have come up with this and been like, this should be the epigram, but I highly doubt that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I bet that it was me and I was just like, this is kind of funny. Boom. You know? And, and I like, I think that I liked that it had a lot of like real like recephile kind of shit in it, you know, like yeah. just the names and everything were like just really grainy and like I I like that just like texturally as language, mm-hmm. you know. So um, so I think that was, but as far as like if there was an intentionality, if somebody else came up with it, <laughs> like I didn't do that. Um, now I know the inspiration for the title of Metropole was a hotel in Italy, uh, but it couldn't hurt that there is a hotel in Master Margarita called Metropole, right? Is that so? Yeah. I, I like, I haven't read Master Margarita in a long time. Um, there is a hotel called Metropole in Master Margarita. Holy fucking shit. It's a, it's a real hotel. Uh, everybody forget what you just heard like 45 seconds ago. Yes, that was totally intentional. Um, we, we, this, I mean, as the return to uh, Greatest Story Ever Told, we returned with the album Metropole, which, as you know, is a, a hotel in the Master of Margarita. Uh, wow, that's cool. Um, <laughs> unintentional and probably like one of those things where like, you just like end up marrying a dude that looks like your dad, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> like, Absolutely. And, and, you, and you don't, you're like, I hate you, dad, or whatever, or I love you, dad. But at the end, you're married to the guy. And, and, and like one day you're at like a family reunion and you're like, oh my God, Glenn is my dad. <laughs> uh, I think that's like, Actually, that's even too much to ascribe to that. I think it's just like pure coincidence, but it 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 is. I just thought that Metropole was just such an evocative term that kind of like doesn't fucking mean anything, mm-hmm. but it does mean something. But like it's everywhere, yeah, you know. And 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 I just thought that that was really just interesting like i remember calling chris while i was at the hotel metropole in italy santa margarita can't recommend it highly enough it's a uh, fancy whoa santa margarita Ma- oh shit this is getting dense the layers <laughs> of influence that bulgakov has brought into this release and continue and um dude i missed i missed talking to you brendan and- Last week was hard. Oh, buddy. But but the uh, but I was just like, dude, I'm at this hotel and it's called Metropole, and I think that we should call our record Metropole. Like, I don't totally know what it means or anything, but it is just cool, and like all these songs are about. 
urban isolation, really. Mm-hmm. And this is a word that invokes a city without being any place. Yeah. You know, and it's that kind of like a weird internationality to it. Mm-hmm. And that's neat too, you know, and, and, uh, and, and Chris was like, yeah, I'll think about it, you know, <laughs> but like, that's what he, that's exactly what I said to him when he said, we should call this record Skeleton Coast. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, yeah, let me, let me like run it through the old fucking washer's wheel or whatever up here and I'll see, see what, see what comes out. But I think for both of us once one of us comes with an idea, I mean, this goes for Neil too, but he is not as much involved in this kind of thing. But once one of us, comes with something and is like i think this should be the thing Mm -hmm. then i feel like it's given like due process and it turns out oh you were right (laughs) you know like like we, we we we've been a band for 22 years for a reason and it's because like we feel each other Mm -hmm. on those kind of levels you Mm -hmm. know and so and so, like, uh, that shit tends to work out. But, yeah, Metropole, that, I was standing out under the sign of the hotel, and I was like, man, I think we should call this record Metropole. Chris was like, I'll think about it. And then Chris was like, I think Skeleton Coast is a good name for the record. And I was like, all right, I'll think about it. Um, of course, uh folks who haven't listened to our episodes on metropole should go back into those archives and and listen and the folks who have i'm sure are going to love the fact that the uh metropole hotel that's in the master margarita is a real hotel that's in moscow and lee harvey oswald stayed there when he uh Try when he first tried to defect to the Soviet Union. So my theory that all these songs that Chris wrote for Metropole are about Lee Harvey Oswald is now officially fact and register. Love it. Love it. Um, so this came out same day as Metropole. It's the seven inch that comes uh, with the pre-order package for the record uh, and is also included with the you know, deluxe digital uh, iTunes order and on Spotify. Now these three songs are just attached to the record as a listener. I'm not a huge fan of it. Just going into songs that are separate from the album, but I don't like that either. I mean, like we, we made Metropole with like a very like specific statement and it like, I mean, the first song and the last song start and end with the same, like, words. Mm-hmm. And also, like, the same samples. And the, the last song, God, I mean, it's Chris's song. And I hate to, like, take any, like, authorship of it. But, like, I was just like, oh, my God, we're going to put this in here. We're going to put this in here. 
and like we're gonna make it so like because it starts and ends you know, and I, I've told you that I sort mm-hmm. of regret putting that song last because I feel like it didn't give it its its fair shake on the record or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and, but artistically, like from a like a purely artistic standpoint, from what I hope was the intent of all of us, it was the only way. I mean, it was. I mean. It starts out, I was born and I died, and just a moment went by. And that's the last line of the record, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. And that's Babe Ruth accepting his, like, Hall of Fame um, award, which we've, I know, talked about. But a, yeah. a, de- a dead hero, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's so, so cruel to me. And, like, the amount of marbling all that shit in that we all thought about and like made into something that could be like some sort of like uh not a story because like i don't think that any of us wanted anybody to understand it i think we wanted it to be like theater of the mind kind of Mm -hmm. shit you know totally um uh and there's a, a, a lot there. Uh, there's a lot that went into it. And to tack those three songs on the end undermines that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a kick in the dick, to be honest. Yeah. That's, I mean, you're always like frank with shit like that, but it is surprising to hear you say that, that you don't like it. Because I feel like there's, I mean, it would make a difference if like you actually made money on those tracks streaming. Um, because people are probably going to hear them more being in that position than they would like separately as an EP that you kind of have to. Yeah, I mean, find I on Spotify, just, but like I, yeah, and I think that you maybe hit on it really, which is that the art of it is kind of what has to be important to me because mm-hmm. the money of it doesn't mean anything. Like well, that's it, weird because you're like a total sellout with that liquid death thing, right? Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I do sell, selling. I can't. I can't stop selling out, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but like the, the, but the money isn't good. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like uh, we don't make money from our record sales um, from Epitaph. Uh, um, I make money from record sales from other record labels, but not. But uh, we don't have to. But I can't not ask if you want to elaborate on why that is. Well, because Epitaph has a huge um, overhead budget for you know advertising and videos and stuff of that nature, and like that's all stuff like that's that's. It's like a green room with two bottles of vodka and a fucking fruit tray in it. The band pays for that shit, mm-hmm. you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and and it's the same thing with Appetite. We pay for the videos. We pay to press the records. Like, they don't pay for anything. <laughs> like, like, they charge us for everything. And, and like, Epitaph is awesome. And 
a home that I could not dare say a bad thing about. Like, mm-hmm. beautiful, you know. But when you run a lean organization like Red Scare and you're also part owner of the label, you make a lot more money. Um, and, and yeah. like, you know, like uh, a Asian man where, I mean, there's been fucking nothing but profit, you know, for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Like they, they haven't like sunk a dime into the band that like would be like held against us. And even, even fat, um, it's the same. And all three, la- all three, four, uh, labels are great at paying their bands and being very forthright and honest. And so it's more just that, like the mechanism of the Lawrence arms was big enough that like, are we going to make money on Epitaph? No. Uh, it, mm-hmm. are, are we going to try to um, utilize the visibility of Epitaph to become like a more profitable touring band? Yes. Is there going to be a global pandemic that renders that completely obsolete? Also, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My fucking dog's going to die. Um I've heard that after expenses, it goes 80% to Epitaph, 20% to the band. Is that true? Um, or should I? Well, no, no, that's not just, okay. So uh, I'll tell you this. With Red Scare, I have a deal that's 50-50, and then I get another 25% personally because I'm a part owner, mm-hmm. right? Um, which, that's got to be the like most sweetheart deal that there is on the earth, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, with um, Asian Man, always 50-50. That's, mm-hmm. that's the traditional, like, people my age punk split is always 50 50 with fat it was more um the let me put it this way michael jackson had 14 percent of his record sales michael jackson and that was considered to be out fucking rageous. So like, it's not like fat was not being cool. Fat was, I think fat gave us like 18% or something like that, which better than Michael Jackson. How about that? (laughs) You know? Um, And I don't even know what it is with Epitaph, but, but but at this point, record sales are no longer like a part of my financial bottom line at mm. all because people just don't buy records, you know. So, yeah, it's like you're but, investing for a, an enterprise that's gonna 
help you in more ways than yeah. record sales. Mm-hmm. The entire organization benefits. So looking at what you're making on that side of things is not really accurate when you consider the fact that touring is unfortunately where it was at. My God, is my neck just like going into my face now? You goddamn son of a bitch. Remember when I told you that thing about the about the microphone? Here. Oh, yeah. No, I did that. Um, I, I, was, that... I, was just, I was just hating myself. I'm sorry. Dude, that's why I started putting my computer like on a platform because I hate looking at myself at that angle. I hate it. Um, we're going to take a break and uh, we'll be right back. I was alive with blood and sweat. I was burning up inside. I was over everything. The dust of my life. All right, we're back. These fucking pigs seem to be getting the best of me. So this song is really uh, beyond being a song that I, I just like, um, that I'm like really pleased with how it came out. Um, it's really dear to me specifically because... After Ocalcada, it was so hard for me to write Lawrence Arm songs. Mm-hmm. And I was I was having a real like I, I don't know why it was easy to do Butt Sweat and Tears, but I just felt like well when we did Butt Sweat and Tears, I guess I was still like on that like high and I just felt like we were just like so untouchable. Mm-hmm. And that like it was like, Well, clearly we're the best band of all time, you know, and then like the second that that high wore off, I was like, fuck. Yeah. It has to be that good all the time now, man. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and like, and, and if it's not, even if it's like 90% there, people will be like, not as good. Yeah. Even though that, that 90% is still better than, most every band, but you know Fugazi, uh-huh. bad religion, right? Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but but like uh, so, this my friend Andrew Norman, who runs a non for profit in Nebraska. This was how I met him. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Hey." I'm going through the Midwest and I'm shooting people doing things in like their native habitat to just be brief. And, um, I was wondering if you'd play me a song, like Mm -hmm. we could go to wherever you want or play it, you know? And, um, so I was like, yeah, man, let's, that sounds cool. I'll write a song. Mm-hmm. And I was not really ready to write a song. Mm-hmm. And 
So I wrote this song, put on my favorite shirt, which I think I'm too fat to fit in now. Uh, but uh, it was, and I went down to the ginger man and I was like, I want to do it here, you know? And he was come through town and um, it was this song. And I played it acoustic. Obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'd never heard it through anyone else's ears before. Yeah. You know? And while I was playing it, like in front of people, but in front of people, I mean, I was playing for Andrew and his camera guy, um, uh, you know, on the sidewalk in front of the Ginger Man and like by the jukebox. And I was like, oh, fuck, I could still do this. Uh This is cool. Like, this might not be, uh, this is no, like, recovering the opposable thumb, but it's, Mm -hmm. but it's its own thing. And it's like, and you can hear, I think, in Pegs, the, the birth really the birth of like the wandering birds like the the mm-hmm. sort of and and actually weirdly uh i think the the first verse at least the opening like 16 bars or whatever is very overtly i was channeling Matt Skiba um Oh, interesting. Is a buddy that you know, like we've always slept in. We slept in the same room a lot, a lot of times, Mm -hmm. you know. But sometimes I like to lay in bed and pretend like I died. Sometimes I stay like that till the day becomes night. Then I set myself up and I set loose to fly like a bunch of restless bats finally coming to life. I mean, like that, that, like. Yeah, uh, when you when you just it, spell it out, it's it's. I was channeling him, not as much as like, it's not like about him, mm-hmm. as much as it's about us. From his voice yeah. to me, you know. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that that's a. It's a way to, it's a way to do things like just a little bit differently. And when you're stuck well, creatively, that's the yeah, best and, type of thing you could do. And this was the, the this there was a lot of um gosh, I'd love to use a term that's not this gross, but this is what comes to mind and um a lot of sort of creative constipation, I guess that was going on mm-hmm. at this point. And I don't remember what the inspiration for this song was, but I do know that it was fucking crucial for me to like get it out. And it happened in such a way that was like, not, uh, there's no pressure. Mm-hmm. Andrew Norman's here in Nebraska, um, you know, fucking video series 
yeah. that at the at the time was not like a big deal. Uh, it was like, yeah, I'll write a song, and I just did it, and I played it, and it was kind of it, you know. And what? Yeah, the the cadence of it is cool. It's got a and, swagger. And there's lyrically, this might be the best song I've ever written. It, um, yeah, dude, it's good. Like it, uh, like I mean, when when I sing this song, I, it's kind of hard to sing. Cause it's it's up high. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I like to stay in bed and pretend like I died. You're like you know, um, and that's the low part, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, so, but it every line of this one is crucial to me, and sometimes when I sing it, like. Uh, when I get to to quit being such a pussy and run <laughs> back into the storm where my demons come from, sometimes I'll sing that and be like, in my head, while I'm on stage in front of 400 people who have come to see me play acoustic and it's only me and the acoustic guitar, my brain will go, how come you don't actually address your demons? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, okay, you're going to have to fucking take a second here, man. Uh, Like, I've got to finish this song. I got to do the chorus one more time. (laughs) (laughs) What comes to mind is fucking Ted Theodore Logan sitting up after his analysis from uh, Sigmund Freud and just... I'm like, whoa! Thank you very much, Sigmund Freud. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. That clarity. Um, uh, then I crank myself up and set loose to fly. Before you work, you got a jerk. Is that what we're going for there? Because that seems like a no, J.O. No, no, reference no. to me. Yeah, no. Like crank myself up and set loose to fly just means like getting out of bed uh-huh. at all. I mean, like, I I understand the purient detail that uh, obviously I am part and parcel with gendering and all of you fucking next generation punks. Uh, (laughs) But uh, no, in this particular case, I'm not talking about whacking off. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it is just purely, um, like... The motivation to get up, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know. It Nowadays, it's so hard to even remember what it's like to have to get up. Uh, uh, but yeah, like, that's what it was about. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's very like, you know, me and Matt used to like, we'd hang out all night and um, we'd go to bed very late four in the morning mm-hmm. and then I would just hear him in the next room being like Ugh! and I'd be like ah 
And it was just like thinking about like the stupid things you said, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. And like, like neither of us would be able to sleep because we were both just like punishing ourselves, like yeah. for how stupid we'd been that evening or whatever. And I mean, I have a very specific memory of him being like, Ugh! and I was like, ah, he's like, it's okay, bud. <laughs> You know, yeah, uh, just not uh, two knocks. <laughs> you too, uh, uh, and like, and that's what this song is about. Yeah, you know, the, the pigs uh, are, are the pigs, the cops, or the pigs, your soul. I the pigs are anything that kind of tells you what to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and your complacence in that is them getting the best of you yeah you know mm-hmm. and, and like it, it's not i mean the song is from a pretty period and juvenile place like so it's not to say that like you shouldn't grow up and you shouldn't adjust and you shouldn't uh you know these pigs seem to be getting the best of me is the story of a young person is probably being kind of an asshole. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it comes being, with the territory. Being like, man, I'm being fucking called out for being an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, but there's that, like... I like that you keep coming back to, like, I want to try. I want to just try. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that is... I think that is the main thing. There's more that I want to say about this. Okay. Okay. Um, cool. I'll talk to you in about 15 minutes. All right. Okay. Do you want to? Wait. You want me to do a new Zoom? Or uh, just yeah, pause if you send me one, one, that would be great. Okay. Cool. See ya. Okay. I'm recording. Great. Uh, we were talking about pigs and. Um, I suppose there's there's a, there's a couple of things in like the second verse of the song, which I guess we didn't really get to yet. Which well, can I before we get there? There's that instrumental break after the chorus. That last chord that you hit that feels like it's a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, what is? It's out of the. It's out of the mm-hmm. wheelhouse. Yeah, right? what is that chord? Yeah. Uh, um. Here, hold on. Give me one second. So, the whole song is in E, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing is... This is probably out of tune. Got to lay in bed and pretend like I die. So I stay like that. Today becomes night. Then I set myself... Crank myself up and I set loose to fly. Like a bunch of restless bats finally coming to life. And that's all. That's E. Um, I don't know what you even call this. Um, the sharp uh, augmented E, I think mm-hmm. is what you call that. But then it, the whole thing is very simple. It's just E to C to A, right? And B to A. Is that B? Yeah, I guess it's B. 
Yeah. I can't, I can't see what you're doing. Yeah, no, it's B. You're right. It's B, not C. Yeah, sorry. This is C. Okay. But then, pigs seem to be getting the best of me. Fucking pigs seem to be getting the best of me. Fucking pigs seem to be getting the best of me. With so much to love, sometimes you wind up diseased. Whoa. Whoa. And this is just really easy. Just one, five, four. And then. So it's this note that's really the interesting one. Which is the. Yeah, F sharp. Um, Because that's just a B. Okay. You know, but but in in the context, and in the context of the Lawrence Arms, it's mm-hmm. highly unusual to do even that much. I don't think we ever played this song as a band, it, which is so crazy because I kind of think of it as one of like the more popular songs that we have in the last, like in the like common era. You know, this feels like news from Yalta feels like the single this being the single and yeah, the other two are b-sides to it it's that's well, really strange yeah uh i don't think that we've ever played this song live as a full band um and i mean i'm going to repeat myself and i know that i just sound like a crazy old man but like I think of this as one of the most popular songs that we have from the last like 15 years. And I, I think of it as really, really like crucial to our catalog. And, you know, it's obviously not on the record or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's also not nearly as good full band as it is acoustic. I it can is, see that. It is just. There's a vulnerability to the lyricism um, that I think lends itself to the acoustic format a lot better than the electric, even though it's written like an electric guitar song. I mean, like this. It's not like the way you write an acoustic song. Mm-hmm. But it's just so vulnerable. Like the words are. Is it a cry for help? I don't think it's quite there, but it's not an exaltation of anything, you know, like it's it's more like. Dude, everything is fucking me up, man. (laughs) <laughs> you know and it, I thought that this would be like a dynamic bombastic full band song and the second we recorded this version of it I think even Neil was like this song's better acoustic yeah you know which that's him being out of a job right <laughs> you know what I mean like <laughs> So he's not lying to me for my benefit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
in the entire like fucking pantheon of all the songs that I've ever written, this one holds maybe the most interesting place along with one other song that actually we're about to talk about. Uh, But I just find it fascinating. It's like, like when I play it, like acoustic, when I do acoustic shows, it's one of the main requests. Mm. This isn't even on a real record. Like, (laughs) you know, and like, and and the electric version isn't as good as the acoustic the best version is the one that I did outside the Ginger Man, uh, like under the fucking Metro uh, marquee. Um, there's nothing else like this one. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so um, what you were saying that before I interrupted, the second verse um, has a lot that you want to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, I can't fix the class, but I can't stop the shaking. And I'm making that face that only ever happens when your life takes a shit in your pants and keeps crapping, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And that was, again... Like one of the first times that I had experimented with the idea of like, okay, so you remember like uh, when we were talking about the Falcon, God don't make no trash. And you said something to me like your reputation just started to precede you. Like you were like super witty and a drunk and this whole thing. And like you kind of say a drunk, but. (laughs) <laughs> I mean you did but uh, you didn't say those words but uh, <laughs> and and I think you were like said something like this is even bigger than your bands like your persona is bigger than your bands at this point uh, what do you bring to the mm-hmm. you, you know did, did you feel that bring it to the table and in the Falcon at the time no now um Hundred percent. I know that to be true. Like my stupid persona is bigger than my bands. Um, but uh, this was my first exercise into that being in my music. Mm-hmm. Like when your life takes a shit and your parents and keeps crapping. I mean, because it's funny, mm-hmm. but it's also like you feel it, do you know what I mean? Like, it's also like, God damn it, you know? Yeah. Like, like, like I feel. I, hey, listen, I wrote it, so maybe I'm wrong, but uh, well, I, I feel like that- there, there's a thing there that is very like where you laugh to not mm-hmm. cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that to like relate it to your on stage persona, that line is like something that you would say when you're introducing the song. 
creep no, to this, that, right? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, so my best friend Angie, um, with the first time she ever came to see the Lawrence Arms play, she's this like, "It's the one about how you're nothing, how you're just yourself on stage." It is, it is, but I, I'm repeating it because it's like, I'm not, uh, so for those of you who did not hear the last, like, 12 times I said this, uh, she was like, I was embarrassed in advance mm-hmm. of, like, how you were going to be, like, some sort of, like, weirdo up there, but you're exactly the same guy. And what I said to her, and which is what I'm saying to you, and it's about this lyric as well, is like, I'm not clever enough to have another personality. Uh, I only have this very one. And I, it, yeah, it, it, it's what I would say to announce a song. It's what I'd say in a song. It's what I'd say sitting in a living room with a bunch of other parents of, you know, fucking middle schoolers. It, it's all I got, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, but I, I do like, it kind of keeps me honest, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's like, I think that that's a pretty big bridge for you to cross because there's a lot of, um, I would say that there's like a rational impulse to say like, no, I can't put that in the song, which is kind of what we talked about with the Falcon. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like this particular song, it was a huge deal to me to sort of let loose the, these sort of concepts and like jokes and just like you know like just like being be, being funny and like kind of like being a cad or whatever mm-hmm. like i mean less respect than the juggalo was like a like dipping my toes into that pool yeah um there's like a record player was something where i nobody would ever know this but I was a kind of poke fun at Jawbreaker a little bit in the opening line. Or not Jawbreaker, but us sounding like Jawbreaker. <laughs> you know, because everybody always said we sounded so much like Jawbreaker. Yeah. I was like, these are like heroin addicted Jawbreaker fans. You know? <laughs> and, and That's fucking funny. A needle in my arm making someone else's sound. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what that was from. I I saw that just written somewhere, but, uh, like, so like, I always had like kind of toyed with humor in the stuff a little bit, but, um, I feel like this song pigs, it's really very important to me, this song. Um, uh, and this line particularly, like when your life takes a shit in your pants, keeps crapping, Cause it's funny. Mm-hmm. Like, and I like the, I think we'll go down in history as the, my favorite tour I've ever done and will ever do 
was me and Danny Andreano, two acoustic guitars and on trains. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would play this song. And even like a room full of Germans who didn't speak English as a first language would just start dying laughing at that. At that. Like it's, it's funnier than you remember it being. I'll yeah. tell you that. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Like, uh, it, it has like the delivery of a joke, which is cool to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I like the bridge in here too. Like, I think just the way it enters is really dope. And, you know, when we talked about the obituaries on our on the impossible past episode available in the archives um you know we talked about that bridge and just the way it is it just tees itself up and i think this one's similarly so just the way that you deliver that first line is well i'll tell you i appreciate that and the comparison is kind sorry the comparison is kind but that's the best bridge in any song ever in the obituaries like that's the the uh, I heard that and I was like no way we can do this like (laughs) I'm yeah. the shadow of the waxwing slain. I mean, like, it, it's just gorgeous. And nothing I have ever done or will ever do will ever touch that at all. <laughs> this bridge in this song does give the song um, an emotional anchor because the rest of the song is very heartless and that's like by design mm-hmm. and it's supposed to have an emotional anger in the bridge. Right. You know, to wake up tomorrow and to feel myself grow in the sun. Finally face all shit that I need to get done. Quit being such a pussy and run. Back into the storm where my demons come from. That's absolutely the emotional anchor of the song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It ain't no obituaries, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's the best part of these pigs seem to be getting the best of me by the Lawrence Arms. Uh, that's about all I can say about that. Uh, but, it, yeah, I mean, it, this one is fun. It's there is no more unusual song in the Lawrence Arms catalog than this one. Yeah, I um, love that it, that it is so important, and uh, I don't know to 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 see it as sort of the one that really like breaks the floodgates open for. This is the first song written for Metropole. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? So, sorry. (laughs) 
Um, Bonfire Park. It's a Chris number. Um, really great vocal from Chris and from you. Uh, this, yeah. So this one is. There's, we had toured with the White Wives, which was, is Chris number two and Chris Head from Anti Flag and Roger Harvey, mm-hmm. most significantly. Roger Harvey, um, with, with no offense to those two Chris's um, band, but Roger was the genius of that band and still remains to be the genius of that band and whatever he's doing and this is white wives don't have their whole catalog on um spotify mm-hmm. and i have lost the ability to play cds in my house so i could not easily find it but this is a white wife song it, it, like chris you know it, I, I wouldn't say stole but this is a fucking white wife song man uh <laughs> like if, if, basically if you listen to any white wife song you'll be like oh it sounds like bonfire park by the one time yeah mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and I think that had a lot to do with why this didn't end up on the record. Uh, also, I think it's so obvious. No, no, like it's just, it's not us. It's them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I think like if I was going to like levy a criticism against it, it would be that I feel like there's too many words in the chorus. Um, like when it's like the sky burns yellow, orange, and red. It's like mm-hmm. today, Junior. You know, <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm. but but like, who am I to tell Chris McCoggan of all people how to write songs? Uh, he's right, I'm wrong. You know, mm-hmm. but, but the the thing that actually I think was. Well, for one thing, it just didn't just didn't fit. Yeah, I can you know, see that. It's pretty there's, down tempo. There's a limited amount of spaces, mm-hmm. you know, on an album, and this one didn't make it. And I, I think it's good. I think it's. When I hear it, I'm shocked at how like uh, the at the vocal interplay that we do because I don't remember spending this much time on that song mm-hmm. at all. But it's like it's very like it's almost Calcutta y in the like the amount of stuff that I uh, I, I don't know fucking force in the song whatever um which is interesting 
And like that, and that like echo thing, you know, um, that thing um, that mm-hmm. like we, we won't be doing that like echo vocal thing yeah. ever yeah. again. Like I, I hear it and I'm just like, huh. even though that, that's like from now, kind of, but no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's a good, it's a it's a very like strong well-written song. It makes sense that it didn't make the cut. There's I don't know. I think yeah, I I agree with you. It well Chris is a really powerful songwriter. Mm-hmm. This is not his best song that he, you know, turned in for this record or whatever. And, like, it's weird to judge it on a level of, like, well, is it Chris McCoggan excellent? Mm-hmm. Or is it just better than anyone else could do? You know, and like, like, so, like, I, I don't want to sound like a, like, I'm criticizing it in any regard, but it's like at a certain point, it's like, yeah, that's not the thing. I, I think, interestingly, it is the, of these three songs, the other two, which are mine, mm-hmm. um, are some of my favorite songs I've ever written. And and this one is like... I mean, I don't know if Chris has an opinion about my two songs on this EP at all, to be honest. Um, To me, this is not... um, something significant in his pantheon, you know, in his catalog. I've said pantheon twice. That sucks. Uh, (laughs) You can only use a fancy word once. Uh, Same thing with the semicolon. All you, uh, all you college students out there, semicolon, you get it one time in your essay. That's it. Make sure. I have have that right below my asshole, above my balls. um, If I'm on my stomach. Uh, a semicolon. Yeah. Uh, actually, I have a semicolon too because they took part of it out. I <laughs> wish I had never brought this up. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, profiteers. This song is like this to me hits at your uh your love of of towns and John Prine. Um, this feels like a song that Towns would play like live at the old quarter. Oh yes. This is um so this was on the record, sequenced mm-hmm. into the record. And the song that was not gonna make it was YMCA. Yeah. And that's the only place it fits. And my our, well, I should say my, our good friend, Ben, um, who's our photographer and our photographer makes it sound so proprietary when he's like 
does the cover of Vogue and shit like that. Uh, <laughs> a very famous photographer that's been our friend for a long time. <laughs> uh, he's at my house and I was like, you want to hear the record? And I played it for him and, you know, whatever. He had his like fucking platitudes or whatever. And then I was like, here, I'd like to play you this song that is not going to be on the record. And I played him YMCA. Mm -hmm. And he goes, this isn't going to be on the record. Yeah. This should be the whole record. You should just put this 13 times on the record. That's it. None of these other songs even matter. You should just put this song on the record. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then I um, hit up Chris and Neil and I said, hey, I think I'm going to switch out Profiteers for YMCA. And Chris was pissed. Because I think that he wanted Bonfire Park to go on the record. And he said something like, oh, I guess so we've just decided that you'll have this many songs and I'll have this many songs. And I was like, no. Mm. No, I think... uh, I'm really just like trying to curate the best stuff we have you know like uh, mm-hmm. uh and but i i understand like looking back why that would seem like a shitty move where i'm like who i'm going to take off my song and put on my song when he has another yeah. song waiting in the wings mm-hmm. right but it's like the assumption that it would only be yeah the, replaced with one of your songs right right but the way I saw it was I was needed to put one of my songs on the record. So I was removing one of my songs in order to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Like, like I, it was just like, Oh, this song needs to be on the record. I've seen a person react to it very vis I mean, and now it's what one of our most popular songs, weirdly. Uh yeah. Yeah, it's like up there in, in terms of the in terms of the place. And I think that I think removing your song from a record is probably something that you know, if it's not if it's not vibing with you, then it's well, not vibing with you, and you're not going to be. Cool. Well, the thing is, I would never have removed Profiteers from the record because this is like top three best songs I've ever written. I mean, it's really so, it's good, but and no, I think it's. Great. I, I love it. You don't you don't you don't love it. You don't love me? Dude, top three. <laughs> yeah, I mean I've written a lot of songs, but like th- this one never hurts my feelings, man. Uh, like <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a bridge that like kicks in like that. Want a pound bricks on a night like this? Like, I mean, it's, it's about a good fucking line to raise in Arizona, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's 
Oh, is that where it came from? Oh, that hell yeah. I, familiar. I, I mean, thought it was a hip hop thing. Like, no, I thought no, that, no. Like, well, I want to pound bricks on that. Like, this is my own thing. Like, that's okay. That's from the whatever's going on in my brain. But, mm-hmm. um, but you're thinking of, but like, wildly. you know, th- mm-hmm. that whole seg- segment that's, uh, uh, a Negro born with its heart outside, like that's a direct quote from Raising Arizona. I wouldn't use the word Negro, <laughs> like by my own volition, if mm-hmm. <laughs> if it wasn't handily couched in a um, <clears throat> Googleable context that could absolve me from all. Uh, remuneration. Could I use more big words, please? Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, like I've never written a song like this before or since. And I mean, for fuck's sakes, on that same tour with Danny, I played this every night, and. You know, Russo, Sam Russo was on that tour with us and mm-hmm. and he was just like, uh, song mate, it's great, you know. <laughs> What's that one about sticking your dick in it? <laughs> 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 you know, and, and, uh, and, and like, maybe it is, you know what? Maybe it's literally just that tour because it's so beloved in my memory that makes pigs and profiteers such important songs to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I suppose that's a completely legitimate explanation, but I don't know. I, <laughs> I think that both of these songs are uh, for me, better than almost anything I wrote that ended up on Metropole. Uh, I like, but it's total like, um, uh, the guy that's doing it doesn't have any idea what he's good at. Shit. I also understand. But, but, um, but yeah, I I love profiteers. L- love it. I I am a huge fan. Um you th- really there are a lot of fantastic one-liners throughout and and like you know, going back to that idea in, in these pigs that you're delivering a line like a joke you know even though i'm always high you won't like me when i'm sober is i don't know i could see that going over with a crowd very very strongly especially if you're playing it acoustic well that's a actually a uh sort of like a a stilted reference to 
um, the old Incredible Hulk TV show, which I used to watch as a kid because I was like a big comic book fan. And uh, you all like me when I'm angry. You'll see banners everywhere. Mm-hmm. Street where I'm from, a town where I live in, I believe in there. Telephone, telephone. Right? Like I've yeah. been referencing the Incredible Hulk uh, show for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, he always says, uh, you won't like me when I'm angry. Yeah. You don't want to see me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. And uh, even though I'm always high, you won't like me when I'm sober. Is that's what I was trying to get at there. Like just, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. They, they said that they had to change his name from Bruce Banner to David Banner for the show because Bruce was too gay of a name. <laughs> that's so weird. And that's also something that like, I remember as a kid that like, Bruce was a real gay name. Um, that anyway. construction of, you know, you won't like me when, I think is a it's a nice one to have in your back pocket as something that because I I it definitely piqued me like you won't like me when I'm angry, familiar with it, but you can really do a lot with just those words. Yeah, yeah, and um. It, it is, it, and it's such a bitch thing to say, right? Like, like you, oh, you won't like me when I'm mm-hmm. unbelievably terrible. When nobody should like me, like I will tell you and preemptively make you the person that doesn't like what. I'm all about when I'm being completely fucking shitty. Tim, if you ever hear anybody say that, just end the conversation. <laughs> oh, you won't like me when I'm hungry. Uh-huh. It's like, mm, funny. Dude, I suddenly don't like you now. I uh, worked <laughs> at a coffee shop for six years. Do you know how many people told me about the the way they are before they've had a cup of coffee. Oh my god. Yeah. That, Fucking terrible. There is a like um sort of like moss green sweatshirt that me and Chris and Neil saw in um some like flying J or something like that. Mm-hmm. somewhere around the world and it said instant human just add coffee and we were like we need to buy this for <laughs> Ryan Massey from American Steel because <laughs> he's such a bitch about his coffee you know <laughs> and like uh, uh, and he'd also look amazing in this fucking sweatshirt <laughs> but uh yeah no i i can i can believe it uh-huh <laughs> i can believe it's worse than uh all right i feel like we're tempting fate with this episode um few things to hit on in this song is over and over and over and over 
Um, like stepping on a bunch of rakes. Yeah. Um, you know, this was purposefully done and, um, I, I've employed it again in like the song, uh, the demon mm-hmm. for the new, uh, for the skeleton coast record. Um, I'm just really like torn by like, I think we're tempting fate. What do you think? I'm going to like fucking fall off my chair. I just like froze. Got the, my heart's like up in my throat from the recording. I'm going to, yeah, no. Yeah. We have been fucked with a lot. Okay. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, this was my first experimentation with, something that I thought was like formalistically. Um, I guess I never really experimented with formalism in songwriting before, um, you know, and that is, I guess, for those of you who are smart enough to not waste your time caring about this kind of thing, where the form creates the mood that you're trying to convey, mm-hmm. right? And so I say over and over in this song so many times that it connotes over and over and over in the listener's head. And when I play it live, I do it like twice as long as it is on the recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it is, um, I don't know. I mean, like, haha, it's kind of clever, I guess, but like, um, it really is. The intentionality is like, just the fucking like dead ass repetitive groundhog day nature of what like you know iphone zoom existence is i mean even before this pandemic uh if anything this has made things more interesting uh <laughs> even before um the last president too yeah and yeah so but that that's what that's that's about like over and 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 oh like to the point where you have to go oh, fuck, I actually do this all the time. And it's the form, not the art. Mm-hmm. Like, if that makes sense. I, you know what I mean? It's not the words. Yeah, totally, totally. It's, mm-hmm. it's a formalistic... Uh, I mean, that's like what, like, uh, like Pollock and, like, the Canning and those dudes mm-hmm. threw away was formalism, right? And, mm-hmm in order to make 
um, abstract expressionism. Yeah. Right. Sorry, I'm There's like no, probably no, no, totally. There's no taking this. I'm probably taking this too far, but uh, well, and, and I... then you also have like Rothko doing just plain blocks. Well, you know, Sean Nader. I, I also... actually, I actually talked to Sean Nader uh, just the other day about Rothko, and I think Sean Nader's a listener to this podcast. And um, hi, hi Sean. Sean. Remember when we just talked about the Keening and. Uh, um, Rothko <laughs> and, of, and of course Jackson Pollock um, he said that he thinks Rothko is number three but upon revisiting number one abstract expressionist so the greatest living artist in the world thinks that Rothko is the greatest abstractionist in the world there you go Nader, Nader is number one I would side with that too I love love Rothko um, it smells like shit and it looks like shit there's a guy who's gonna try to stick his dick in it um, set yourself yeah. up for that one there's a lot going on there right um mm-hmm. I think the funny thing about that line is that it's not really funny. You know, like like you hear it and you go, ha, yeah, no, that's a great rhyme. Mm-hmm. And then you listen to like what it's actually saying and you're like, <laughs> you know like like that there is it i mean it, it's fuck it, you know there's that fucking movie what was it called happiness by todd Slons, yeah. right mm-hmm. and like the the whole movie is basically about this dude that like wants to fuck little boys right and he plays the first half of it for laughs and, mm. and makes it funny. This guy wants to fuck little boys. And then it comes down and you're like, I don't believe I laughed at this. Yeah. This is so fucking dark. You know? And like what what I'm doing in this song is obviously not like on the little boy fucking spectrum um, uh, <laughs> or, or, or telling your son that that you don't like love him enough to want to fuck him oh god no oh the movie just like hurts my heart um I hate it uh but 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 it's the same kind of thing. I mean, it's a, in a in a very small way, and I think directly inspired by that movie. Um, yeah. I mean, if it smells like shit and it looks like shit, there's a guy who's going to try to stick his dick in it. It's like, ah, that's funny on the surface. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's 
hundred percent true and is uh, gross uh, profiteering. I mean, the song's called The Profiteers, you know, like, it's like, what, what, what can, what in these hills can I exploit? You know? Yeah. Is there gold in these hills? Fine. I'm taking- I mean, what happened, what happens to, you know, the guy with the uncontrollable urge to put his dick in shit? He's probably going to end up in prison. Like, somebody's going to make a lot of money holding that guy for 15 years. No, that guy's going to end up a fucking billionaire. Oh, that, okay. I mean, there's that too. Yeah. You have to be a pervert to be that rich. Well, like it's just, right? You yeah, just have to be a pervert. Yes. Uh, the whole thing about like QAnon, which I like fundamentally think is nothing but idiots. Uh, literally. Exclusively yeah. idiots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, there, if there's ever been a more exclusive club for idiots than QAnon, I don't know what it is. Uh-huh. But um, that that there there's like a cabal of um, very uh, well wealthy and powerful kid fuckers, right? Yeah, and that Donald Trump is the one. <laughs> Stop it, which is hilarious, uh, especially considering that he's the biggest kid fucker of any of these fucking people, uh, mm-hmm. based mostly on all of his statements that he wants to fuck his own daughter. Uh, and, and but uh, hundreds of accusations and the every every, every uh-huh. there's there's no there yeah there's no shortage of reasons to be like mm, Donald Trump probably fucked a kid or two uh, <laughs> but the thing is like um, with all of this Q Anon shit it is hard not to no matter how stupid they are it's hard not to be like Wanting to run a country and wanting to fuck a series of children require the exact same brainwave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it's not... Uh, both seem like too much of a pain in the ass to me, and neither one are attractive to me at all. <laughs> but, like, it, it, it is really easy to see why those two things coincide mm-hmm. um and you know like that's what eyes wide shut was supposed to be about like that oh, orgy scene was supposed to be kids and they had to change it and then Stanley Kubrick died uh so mm-hmm. I don't think there's nothing to it <laughs> I don't think there's anybody in the non-existent basement of that pizza place, but uh, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Yeah, I yeah. Am. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but, what a weird thing! What a but, weird thing! The, the rich and powerful fuck children. Uh, no, that it, it's 
ass backwards enough to be like, yeah, it all happened in this uh, pizza place. Yeah, that is weird. Could you have more sympathy for a human being than the guy who's like, wait, what? And then somebody shows up with like an AR-15 in his fucking lobby and he's like, there's not even a basement here. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I, I also I'm be, Q. I'm Q. I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I am Q. I would be remiss to not um, point out the the power of it's a crazy fucking world. Just as a way to tie it all up, I'm thinking of high right now. Um, just kind of being like, well, you know, it's a crazy world. H.I. McDonough, you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I got it right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like, so much of the stuff that I do is uh, derived from sort of like through, like a sieve through his perspective or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really funny is that like, Chris really liked this song, like in the demoing um, part. Yeah. And then. And <laughs> Chris used to be. A, I don't know if he was an Aerosmith fan. <laughs> or, or if he just. You know, like you, like when you're a young kid, you collect all the recordings of some band because you decide you're going to this is probably um completely uh apocryphal for like younger listeners Mm -hmm. but like we used to define ourselves by music like we didn't have podcasts we didn't have like uh websites where it was like oh i want to dress as a teddy bear and like fuck cheese you know, and they're here. Oh, here's 300 other people who do uh-huh. like I had to dress like a punk. So when I got on the train and other punks were on the train, they'd be like, hey, you ever heard of Operation Ivy? You know, like that mm-hmm. was literally the thing. But previous to that uh, amount of delineation, I, my point is that we all used to define ourselves with uh, the music that we like. Mm-hmm. whether it was even significant or not. And that is coming very apparent in the next thing I'm going to say, which is Chris had all the Aerosmith albums. Uh, <laughs> and when we were kids, I had all the Led Zeppelin albums, mm-hmm. a band I hate. Uh, <laughs> I think they stink. And I think Aerosmith, stinks too but not nearly on the level that i think led zeppelin stinks um really yeah continue one of the funniest things that i've ever seen Uh is i was reading your and my mutual friend josh terry had a thing in the red eye uh when that still existed that Mm -hmm. was what's a song that always will make you cry Mm-hmm. I don't remember what Josh Terry said, but I do remember that one other person 
on there said, Dude Looks Like a Lady by Aerosmith. Every time I hear this bullshit-ass song, it makes me cry for the fate of humanity. And I was like, damn, dude. <laughs> you couldn't have made this fucking cooler. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that you Did you just, like, subvert the paradigm that much? And, <laughs> like... And just make it just rule. Yes. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. I'm ready to laugh at someone who picks Dream On. Maybe I don't want to miss a thing. Like, you fucking like that song? But no, it's the <laughs> one that goes, But, but sorry, like that. We should make it abundantly clear that we're talking about the song, the composition, not the sentiment of a dude looking like a lady. It's about Vince Neil by Motley of Motley Crue. No way. Yes, that is true. Uh, it was Vince Neil of Motley Crue was the dude that looked like a lady. Now he looks like two ladies. Uh, <laughs> um. But it, I, I'm throwing this out there because, like I said, Chris really like took a shine to this song. Mm-hmm. This is, and when we recorded it, the it's crazy. <laughs> I, I like he was like, "You got to do the Steven Tyler." Uh-huh. <laughs> Cause like that's like like totally like in my wheelhouse. I you know like that that kind of shit. And so yeah, Chris was like, "You guys just make it like complete Steven Tyler. Go for it. It's crazy, fucking world. Fuck yeah. Oh man. Um." This is our podcast. It's called Road to the Skeleton Coast. We're happy to be back doing it. I had so much fun on this one. No, I mean, I had no good times at all. <laughs> we laughed. We cried. We heard Steven Tyler make a guest appearance. We invite you to join us again next week. Uh, I think Joe Perry is going to be joining us for a conversation about slapstick. Uh I, I, I should say this. Um, I have a friend who will not be named, but uh, Joe Perry recently. Uh, oh God, I shouldn't say this. Never mind. I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't even get into this. Uh, no, fuck it. Who cares? I don't care about any of these people. Uh, uh, overdosed on drugs, and my friend is like his manager, and was like hanging out with me and was like, uh, Joe Perry just overdosed. And I was like, is it going to be okay? He's like, you know, they're taking him to Cedar sinai It'll be fine. <laughs> it's just like such fucking like Hollywood weirdness. And, <laughs> but yeah, I hope, I hope next week when he comes on, he's already had the help he needs. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, rate, subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Tell a friend. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. We invite you to sign up over there and help us keep doing the thing we do. Either way, we will be back next week and we look forward to it. We'll see you then. Thank you, friends. Thanks. Fucking work.